Welcome back to the Livingston Parish News Podcast. My name is McHugh David, publisher and editor of the news. We're here with Miss Ivy Graham. We're going to be talking about her campaign for House District 71 at the state level. Good morning, ma'am. How are you? Good morning, McHugh. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. All right. There we go. (laughs) Um, So... We did the morning show, mm-hmm. uh, got into a couple of headlines and stuff. That's not what this is about. This is about you. Just want to let everybody know you can check these out on any podcast platform. We also put them on our website, www.lingsaparishnews.com backslash podcast. So, Miss Graham, tell us about yourself, your job, your personal life, what you do for fun, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm an attorney by trade, and I've had my own law firm here in Denham Springs since uh, for the last 10 years. I do family law, divorces, custody, child support, um, adoptions, successions, that sort of thing. Uh, after the flood, though, the office did float a little bit east, and we are in Livingston. We are very grateful for Lester McLean to let us stay this long, uh, and I hope he lets me to continue to stay a little bit longer. <laughs> Um, I grew up in Gonzales. I met my husband. We both worked at Demco, and we've been married for 17 years now. Uh, moved to Livingston, been here around 20 years, approximately. And just when it became an opportunity for me to start my own business, it was much easier just to put my business at home rather than commute to Baton Rouge every day, which is what I was doing before. So just happy to be part of this community and um, happy to serve y'all. It is a tough commute. Uh, so you are in family law. Yes. Uh, so tell us tell us a little bit about those experiences and how you know you don't not specific obviously mm-hmm. there's there's client privilege there but how your experience and expertise as a family lawyer uh, would help you with a state legislative seat. So what I tell clients when they come in uh, for for any sort of family law case is that our goal is always to settle your case. We are not a trial-focused firm. That doesn't mean we can't do a trial, but that's not our focus because at the end of the day, everybody's got to live with one another afterwards. So our focus is always to get people to come together and make some sort of agreement that they can all live with and that will uh, benefit everyone at the end of the day. And I really feel like that leads very well to the legislature because it is about make it, it is about negotiation. What do you need to have happen? What do you need to have happen? And how can we get everybody something so that we can move forward as a state and get us back on track? Um, also, a big part of it is just client communication and keeping people informed. I'm dealing with folks when they are at a very low point in their life and they're extremely emotional. No matter if you're not an emotional person, you will be emotional uh, when you come see me, and that's okay. But what helps them through that process is information, and it's just, here's what we're gonna do next, or here are your options, or I understand why you're concerned about that, but that doesn't really need to be what you need to be worried about. You need to be worried about this over here right now. Uh, and keeping that open dialogue and being that resource so that they can always contact me to know what's going on, to know what's going next and and letting them know really helps calm them down and helps them move through this process. And I think that's another key point for the legislative office that family law or what I do leads to, and that is keeping constituents informed of what's going on. Is this a concern of yours? Is this not? Uh, And how would you like to see this improved? It's also why I've teamed up with Your Vote, which is an app you can download on your phone. And while I'm in session, I'll be able to post questions to the constituents who's got the app and say, this is what they want. This is what they're talking about doing. Are you for this or are you against this? And get real-time feedback from the constituents as to what they want to see happen. 
That's very interesting. I didn't know that was uh, that existed. I'm gonna have to check that out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, next part is sort of a two part question. Uh, you know. Jay Rogers, uh, Pope, who was mm-hmm. in the House in this seat, mm-hmm. term limited. Mr. Dale Erty was in the Senate, mm-hmm. term limited. Mr. Erty has decided not to run again. Mr. Rogers has gotten into a race for that Senate seat. Mm-hmm. What was, uh, so I guess it's, it, the two-part question really comes together. What was your mindset when you learned about that, and then what pushed you into the race? Uh, that is a good two-part question there. Uh, so... I knew the, the the term limits were were coming up. I mean, I I knew that already. So it was something kind of on my radar. If I wanted to run, this would be a good time to do that uh, because I certainly would never challenge Mr. Rogers for his seat. Um, I respect the man too much, and he is an uncle. So uh, oh, on the go. on the family side, so yeah, I don't need those sort of politics at home. <laughs> no, it would be very Louisiana of you. Right. So congratulations for rising above. <laughs> I try. I try. But uh, all that being said, so with an open seat opportunity, if there was an op- if there was a chance I was going to do this, this was something I was eyeing as this would be the moment that I would do this. Um, a couple of things happened the last couple of years that really kind of kind of grounded me with this is really what I want to do. Um, they made a lot of changes to domestic violence laws that look great on paper, but dramatically changed my practice, and it was causing more harm than it was doing good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you announced earlier of the terrible situation that they're concerned that domestic violence was involved with the murder that happened in Livingston over the weekend. Those are the types of things that we're trying to prevent. But what we did was we made recreate a situation that really makes it easier for, frankly, women to take advantage of men in the family law arena. Uh, so some of those changes need to be reworked. Um, and I'm not sure if, if legislators really had all the information when they made those decisions so that really concerned me that and it was pushed past so quickly because people were very concerned with domestic violence and they should be it's a terrible terrible thing i'm not trying to sugarcoat it uh but not everything was really looked at to the depth that it needed to sure and so that combined with things that happened after the flood um and folks the constant questions of why is it like this and it's like well number one it doesn't have to be like this and number two let's go fix it Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I consider myself a problem solver and this was, this is just, let's go fix these things. I'm tired of Louisiana being last at everything with those last statistics that came out. That's awful. There's, we have as a state more resources than anybody else, but yet we can't monopolize on that, That we're, we're, because we're still doing things like we did in the thirties <laughs> and that's not going to get the job done in 2019. What, uh, what's the phrase? That's the way we've always done. That's the way we've always done it. Right. Uh, so it kind of an interesting, you know, uh, perspective looking at it from, uh, I guess you can say that's the way we've always done it. Uh, there are, you know, stacks of laws on top mm-hmm. of each other and, yes. and a lot of times they weren't looked at to the depth that they should mm-hmm. be. So, so those kind of things push you into the race. Tell us how your campaign's going. The campaign's going really good. Um, we're just out there. We've done many events. We, I have been at everything I can possibly be at, if possible. Um, we're walking neighborhoods, meeting folks. Um, it's just been, it's been hot. It's been very hot, but mm-hmm. it's been great to really get out there and meet the people and and listen to their concerns and what I can fix and what I can't fix. Um, and get their feedback. So a lot of folks, very surprisingly, weren't necessarily completely against the gas tax. 
uh, because they do want more roads and bridges. And but it became uh, well, we need to make sure that it actually goes to roads and bridges this time. If if y'all do want to support a gas tax, so um, a lot of things that I think that people would just be completely for or against. Once you actually go out there and ask them, you get different results. And so that's why I'm really excited to use the app as well, so that I don't make some blanket decisions. Need people's feedback. Need your thoughts and concerns. And what's the name of that app again? It's Your Vote. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, as you're moving into or, or trying to get elected uh, for this new position, what what is your knowledge of the House? And, and, and that's a really broad question. So let's break it up into a couple. First, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you're, you, you've been a member of the Bar Association. Yes. Uh, how involved have you been with the workings of the House before? Well, with the at the bar association, I'm actually um, on the House of Delegates for the bar for the state bar association. So the House of Delegates is basically the legislative body for um, our organization, and I'm one of seven representatives for the 21st JDC. I am elected, and we meet twice a year, and the they roll out. Here's all the things that we would like to change, and and tweak it, and we have discussions about them. We vote whether or not we're going to agree or amend or accept or deny these changes that they want to do. At those meetings, we also appoint or elect, rather, we don't appoint. We elect who is going to represent the state bar association at the at the capital in Baton Rouge and <clears throat> and we get a lot of feedback from them about what's going on and that sort of thing. The other thing that as an attorney, um, we work with the law institute a lot of times with when they are proposing those law changes and then they get tweaked as they go through uh, the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. But the um, working with the law institute, they've done some an amazing jobs as to try to update some of those old laws. So when they go back through and they are uh, reach when they're updating the language because we don't call things the same things that we used to call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that job falls on them, gotcha. and to do all of that, and then to analyze, they're they're actually looking at um, the tutorship laws with regard to interdictions and continuing tutorships, uh, and um, updating those sort of things to be more reflective of what we do currently. Um, a lot of times, so continuing tutorships are for um, children with disabilities that will not recover, Got it. and they um, it leaves them in a from a legal standpoint in a child position. So they never obtain their adult rights. So there's always someone there to legally take care of them. Um, so they're talking about making it some sort of combination of an interdiction and a continuing tutorship, which is fine and dandy. But I'm worried about the costs. The increased cost to those parents if you're going to combine those two things because interdictions require a lot more medical records than the continuing tutorship. So that's just something to work with the Law Institute on gotcha. to, uh, <laughs> with my legal knowledge, to make sure that, that we aren't passing legislation that is more cumbersome to the public because that is not the point. Right. It's supposed to be helpful. So right. uh, with regard to that, so you have been involved, I guess you could say, in the legislative process before. So when you're talking about, uh, say, the House as opposed to the Senate, you know, a lot of people like to say it's the difference between school and a madhouse. Um, <laughs> you know, you're going into the madhouse. Uh, mm-hmm. What You know, what is your knowledge on that? Because there's, you know, dozens of you in one room uh, mm-hmm. trying to work together. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, 
I've spent a lot of this year um, meeting quite a few of them. I've met representatives in North Louisiana. I've met representatives in uh, the east side of the parish, in the west side of the parish. I mean, I'm certainly not met everybody, but a little handful here and there. And I'm hoping that, you know, once we're all in there, that that's going to help facilitate working together because we have met each other. Uh, It's not just going to be this cold relationship um, and I mean, I do know that things start out in committees and then they move to the floor and then it goes from the house to the Senate. Um, and then some of that has to do with the way the budget goes and this and that it comes down from the governor's office. Um, I don't quite know exactly what you want to know about the whole process. No, no. I mean, just, you know, that questions about how involved you've been in the past and, sure. and what you, what you understand about it. So, you know, and that leads into sort of the next question is uh, if you could shoot for a committee, what, what would you shoot for? Um, I'd be interested in the judicial committee, just simply based on my background. Um, ways and means would be amazing to be on. Um, certainly transportation, um, would those would all be things that are very concerning for this area that would be um, great opportunities and appropriations. So uh, walk let, let's walk through uh, let's walk through the committee process with mm-hmm. people. So you know things start in committee right take it away. <laughs> <laughs> this okay. is your interview not me. okay. <laughs> so yes, things start in committee. That's um, where your bills go to be uh, proposed to be discussed and that sort of thing. A lot of things don't leave committee. things die in committee so then they never make it out to the house. but the committee is where we start flushing out what's the cost of these you know what's your proposed legislation? what's the cost of it? what's the implementation process? what's the practicality of what solution is the solving? That's the roundtable discussion on what is this bill? what will it accomplish? Um, and what will it do? And so if it gets out of committee and there's plenty of politic games that happen in committee, Mm. um, that are what they are. I mean, that's just the process. Um, because everyone's trying to get their stuff passed. So that, that works. I mean, so they start (laughs) in committee, they are discussed, political games are played, and then they end up on the house floor. Mm -hmm. They have to make it through both houses uh, to hit the governor's desk, but then he can veto it. He can. And then we can have a whole discussion again about whether or not it was worth it. So if you ever wondered what committee means at the state level, that's what it means. Uh, it, it also occurs at the federal level. Not necessarily, it, it sort of occurs here. We have an ordinance committee on the parish council, but it, it's not the same. Uh, so should you be elected, and we talked about this on the morning show, there's going to be a law. Now, of mm-hmm. course, and you, did, you mentioned, that's why I brought it up, there's a lot of talk about ex, extra special, special sessions here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you're going to have anywhere from about three months to a four-month lull. What is your plan should you be elected for that time? My main focus here in that time, as I said in the morning show, is I'm going to have to reorganize my business because it's not currently set up for me to be in two places at one time. And we've been juggling during the campaign, uh, and that's been fine, but that's not a long-term solution. So I do have to make some changes, some structural changes to my business during that time. Um, That's the main focus. I know that um, also doing more research about what's coming up and what's coming down the pipeline for for the state and for this this upcoming session certainly be a big concern of mine and i know there'll be conversations about committees and that sort of thing ahead of time they'll be meeting with legislatures and that sort of thing so uh excuse me uh you know 
we talked about it on the morning show, and the question was before, and, and we're going to jump into some individual issues. Because mm-hmm. um, I gave the, you a laundry uh, list. <laughs> yes, and, I, and, and I'm sure everybody would like to hear about mm-hmm. what you have to say about that. The questions were, uh, before we get into that, were personal goals, sort of Livingston delegation mm-hmm. goals, and then, you know, direction as a state. You know, so so personal goals would be more. You know, uh, what kind of connections are you looking to make? Uh, not not necessarily. You know, for personal gain later, but just when you're coming in. You, you know, there's a lot of different people representing a lot of different interests. Mm-hmm. So that's what we meant by personal goal. So let's start there. Uh, you know, what what do you intend walking into that first? Uh, let's just say there's going to be a special session. Walking into that first special section, special session. What are your goals? Uh, to, to get in there with the folks that I have already met and, you know, probably ask them, Hey, where's the bathroom? Uh, you know, those are important things. First thing they teach you in any form. Exactly. Language. Yes, it is. Um, and just the day-to-day routines and, and what to expect and that sort of thing. And also that would be something I'd reach out to them ahead of time and just say, um, as far as in that lull period. Okay, I'm in. So what should I expect? Where should I be? That sort of thing. Um, to honestly, I think a personal goal would just be to start accomplishing those things that, that are on my to-do list, which is to start moving us forward to, to work with Mark Wright and, and his bill does need to be tweaked, but then what to work with, um, uh, Tony Bacala for, because he's heading He's been the main driver for Medicaid reform and to or Medicaid fraud and investigating that. Uh, and just to kind of say, I am here and I've, I feel as passionately as you do about these topics and point me in the right direction. I want to be an, another advocate for these things. Right. Uh, how about the Livingston delegation? The Livingston delegation, um, I know all of them. I mean, I work with Sherman almost daily mm-hmm. uh, to some extent. Um, met Valerie a few times, met Clay a few times. I got to see him at the tax assessor grand opening. Uh, that was fun. Mm. And I, I know for our area, the biggest concerns are roads and drainage. And Valerie's done an amazing job to make sure the Comet project got co- uh, funded. And just staying on top of that, possibly using some of those federal dollars as they come down for the Darlington Reservoir. So that would that would dramatically help this area for uh, drainage purpose or flooding purposes in the future. Um, continuing to work at the, uh, being a liaison between local level for those drainage projects as we're going through and we're cleaning out all of our uh, ditches and canals and that sort of thing. And then hopefully working towards a plan in place to kind of keep them clean and maintained moving forward. Um, and then as, as the parish grows, making sure that as we put in more subdivisions and more development that our waterways can handle that load of water or do we need to look at some sort of reservoir situation to hold it for a second before it enters Comet or Eden Church or any of those canals um and then infrastructure um and we need more roads and bridges we need wider roads and bridges we need all of those things um I know our delegation and and everyone in the Florida parishes really works together to try to get as much um, dollars down to our road projects as possible. So, and, and you know, so we're going to get into it, those individual stu- that it, those individual subjects in a second. Let's talk about Louisiana as a whole. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 
what direction do you think the state should be moving in and, and you know, what's your participation in that? I, from a state perspective, I really think that a, a reform of our tax code is is a key element here to make us more competitive with our neighbors. We, Like I said before, we have more resources than everyone else, and we're just not taking advantage of the opportunities that are presented to us because we are afraid to try to do something different because we don't know what it's going to look like. And... <clears throat> There, there are things out there that we can do. There have been many proposals. It's just about having enough people in both houses to pass those reforms and doing the work because <clears throat> reforming a tax code sounds terrible and hard and there bet there's a lot of numbers in it and nobody in the legislature wants to do that because we're all socialites. And I mean, not that's a broad example, but for the most part, Running for office requires to talk to a lot of people, which makes you more social, and then you not want to do the hard math stuff. But it doesn't mean that's not the job that's got to be done. And it's just putting boots to the ground and getting it done. You're elected, and you got to go do a job. you got to go do a job. So let's talk about some of these individual uh, things that, that you've brought up during during our conversation. We've mm-hmm. got, uh, I, I count six so far. Uh, <laughs> so first, uh, you know, let's jump in on, uh, let's carry forward what you were just talking about, tax reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned on the morning show that it's a lot of micro taxes. Yeah. You also talked about... Um, the idea of the centralized sales tax collection, which came mm-hmm. up this past session, didn't make it. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about what tax reform looks like to you. Um, it's a rolling back of the franchise tax, um, the severance taxes, um, lowering the corporate tax. Um, <clears throat> and all of those things have worked on the federal level to improve growth and job expansion, so uh, there's no sign to say that, that would not help improve things at the state level um, since we are falling behind our neighbors. <clears throat> so those sort of things. And then, I mean, even if you want to go even further than going into more of a flat tax situation on a individual level so that just more transparency that, hey, it's 2% and it's not 2% plus this, plus that, plus this. It's 2%. You pay 2% and that's what you got to pay. I mean, you're going to have property taxes and you're going to have income taxes and all that kind of stuff. I'm not earned sales taxes. So it's not, but those are everywhere. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not just the Louisiana thing. Right. It's some of those smaller things like yes. inventory taxes. Right. Inventory, yes. Uh, Another tax that's unnecessary or just make it all 6%, you know? And then I don't have to count all of these other things. I don't have to worry about all these. I just have to pay in my 6%. There might be some CPAs that would be mad, though. Uh, you might put them out of a job. Well, but I've talked to some CPAs, and they were like, this would make my job easier. Oh, well, fair <laughs> so. enough. Uh, so next, and and you mentioned the gas tax. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, infrastructure uh, yes. is just a statewide need, but especially yes. here in Livingston Parish. Talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on infrastructure. So what, and that's that's part of the talk for the, if they call a special session, it is for the gas tax, simply because we're, um, the session we're rolling into, that you're not going to be able to raise any taxes. Mm-hmm. So they would be calling a special session basically just for the gas tax. And, and I understand why, because we're not making our federal match dollars, so that means Louisiana is not getting all the money in that we could be getting in for our road projects. But... That doesn't necessarily mean raising a tax. is It's the fastest solution. It's the fastest solution. Um, it's the most immediate um, result, but that doesn't mean it's the best solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
there, like I said before, there's been proposed legislation that would basically shift some money around so that we could, it, it still has to go the same places, but it would shift money around so that we could capitalize on those federal match dollars. And then there needs to be a, a big reform and a big look at what DOTD is doing. The efficiency of their road projects. Um, I mean, how long has it taken us to get any I-12 expanded? Um, I mean, I remember growing up, it, Drusilla was under construction for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a dragged out road project. Mm-hmm. Um, we need more efficiency from DOTD. Um, but the fact that they get 20 cents, four cents of that 20 cents goes to bonds that, were, that they have to pay out for prior road projects. And two cents goes to roads and bridges, but the rest just covers DOTD's overhead. That's probably not what you want your tax dollars to go to. Maybe there's another way that we need to fund this. Maybe the rest of that 16 cents needs to go to roads and bridges. And then could we get more of them done without raising taxes? Well, it would be worth looking into the the books. I'm sure some mm-hmm. people from DOTD might fight you, but, I mean, they're part, they're part of the bureaucratic process. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Moving into the next form of infrastructure, which is drainage, mm-hmm. brought that up as well. Uh, you know, we've talked about Comeet, we've talked about Darlington. Uh, there's local projects. Talk to us mm-hmm. a- about what you what you see the future of that. And, well, what you see in terms of future and uh, how you would participate in that. From a state perspective, I really think that we need to be looking at our whole flood flooding or the whole floodplain on a regional perspective because what's been happening is from at state level it's like well our our area needs this or our area needs that and we just fund these little projects so what happens is st james gets a um levy that floods ascension ascension gets a levy that floods livingston and livingston we haven't flooded anybody yet but just give us time right (laughs) (laughs) give us some funds we'll flood somebody um because we're not looking at everything regionally we have to look at where the water's going and we have to make sure that if we are putting up levees and dams and bridges or reservoirs that they are helping everyone and we're not just moving the water to someone else's backyard um as far as the parish goes on drainage what by walking the neighborhoods and talking to people uh the big flood the big storm that came through the big rain shower that came through in june made a lot of people nervous because water came up in spots it hadn't come up in before and which i completely understand why that made folks nervous but also walking around there's a lot that hasn't been cleaned up since the 2016 flood that's causing dams that's backing up water in places it hadn't been in before because when everything floated away it got caught in a tree or it got jammed up against somewhere else and we're actually got so i think we've got all these little dams everywhere now that we didn't have before Mm -hmm. um so as we go through and start cleaning out everything and dredging everything i think that will help a lot with concerns that came up in june but it's a process so it's just staying on top of it making sure the money's there and making sure everybody's getting it done as efficiently as possible and with that we have uh it was actually five issues we had two more but we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back and we're back with the final segment here with miss ivy graham she's running for House District 71 here in Louisiana for the state House of Representatives. Repeat myself here. So we're talking about issues and what you're going to be Mm -hmm. focused on uh, should you be elected. So we're getting into the final throws here. Let's talk about Medicaid fraud. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, right now there's a lot of reports out there that, you know, with Medicaid expansion that came under John Bell Edwards, there's been mm-hmm. a lot of fraud. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably already some fraud before that. Uh, sure. <laughs> let's, you know, let's talk about your plan for that. Absolutely. Well, um, this is what's really gotten me excited about getting into the legislature at this point in time, because in the last four years, there have been quite a few bills or efforts, bills and efforts, made to really start requiring accountability of departments um, and transparency of our tax dollars and stopping the abuse, the fraud, and that sort of thing. But they haven't been able to get enough traction because there hasn't been enough of them in there, in the House, and the governor has thwarted a lot of their efforts as well. Um, So... That, that has hindered things. So on the Medicaid side, uh, Tony Bacala out of Ascension Parish has, this has kind of been, I'm sure he wouldn't take credit, but this has been a big passion for him to really crack down, to demand accountability because uh, Medicaid, for the most part, don't even really complete all of the reports that the other departments do. They do, but not as detailed. And when he asked for help to really, because he's been pushing strongly to say, no, I want to see your numbers on this. I want to see your numbers on that. I want to see who's who's getting this and who's getting that and what did you check on them about. Um, he's not getting a lot of support from the rest of the government to really require Medicaid to turn over all the information. So I would certainly be um, a huge advocate to join in with his efforts to get some accountability and, and stop all of the fraud that's going on and hopefully with a possibly Republican governor, uh, that could get some more teeth into it. Well, I'm talking about Republican governors and special sessions and mm-hmm. all that good, great stuff. Y'all should be jumping into that pretty quickly. Uh, the other thing, and, and you discussed this during uh, the morning show, it's part of, uh, really part of your family law practice mm-hmm. was domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said uh, some things have been passed in the past, uh, or some laws have been passed in past years mm-hmm. uh, that have made uh, dealing with those situations more cumbersome. Walk us through uh, a, maybe an example or two of that sure. and what you would do to change it. Um, I don't quite have a perfect solution on changing it, but what's happening now is um, a person can go... T- what they changed was they put stricter penalties on anyone who's been found guilty of domestic violence. Um and any sort of stipulation is, is also deemed guilt. So what has created is that anytime there is, uh, so what happens is typically the woman uh, goes to the sheriff's office and says, I'm a victim of domestic violence. They fill out the form and they immediately have exclusive use of the house, custody of the children, and there's court date down the road. Um, and very often the men will end up getting picked up for violating that protective order because they have texted or called her to find out what on earth is going on. Uh, But all that aside, what ends up happening, what happened before is in those situations, um, we, the man or the woman would come and hire an attorney and we would go to that domestic violence uh, because what, what really needs to happen in those situations is just a divorce. So we would go to the domestic violence hearing, we would just stipulate and then we'd get them divorced and we'd finish out the case civilly. Um, But now what happens is we have to do a full-blown trial on the domestic violence because uh, the protective order to to determine if there is enough proof there to keep the protective order in place because there are now all these penalties. 
and these penalties affect custody. They affect community property. They affect spousal support. They have a, a and if someone is an abuser, I agree with all of that, but uh, I think a lot of the solution could be from better training for our officers and then maybe a little bit more, um, I don't want to make it difficult for someone to get a protective order, but uh, maybe more detail. There needs to be more information in the process, uh, in the pleadings, maybe some more requirements of proof, that sort of thing. Because we, what they've created with these new laws is that you're guilty until proven innocent. And it changes, it makes everything cost more, more when you do that. So trying to remove some cumbersome issues in the process. And it, as you mentioned, it costs more as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. But not to not protect people. Right. But it's, this is one of these things that was designed... Like so many other things, it was this beautifully designed thing to protect people, and it has turned into this abusive situation where people are just um, running amok, amok, amok. And abusing the system. Mm-hmm. So, uh, talking about, uh, I guess you can say, some abuses of the system, the last thing is Restore Louisiana. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, $1.3 billion came down Louisiana way. Uh, $300 million cut right off the top for contractors and overhead, and then slowly but steadily, some a few hundred million have, and I mean, use that term relatively, sure. but when you have that amount of money, a few hundred million have come out, you have issue with that, you're looking for an audit. I am, I am. I, there are so many people that were denied a claim, which I, I don't, I'm not the company. Number one, I don't know why we've hired an out-of-state company. Um, in Texas, they had a similar program. They hired a nonprofit to manage it so that the overhead costs weren't as much. So did we really flesh out the best option for who to manage this in the first place? Um, number two, which is done and said and done, but something we need to look at for the future, something we certainly need to be keeping our eyes out, or was this just politics as usual? I don't know, I don't know. Um, claims are being denied. Um, many, many people were telling me just how cumbersome and difficult it was to work with these folks, um, and that they wouldn't use information that, that um, residents had already supplied to FEMA. Like, here's everything I gave to FEMA. Here's my copies of everything. No, they wanted brand new assessments. They wanted brand new receipts. Um, so did they make the process more difficult just so they could deny the claims? Was that an alternative motive there? I don't know, but it seems like there was money there. We have people in need. It should have been paid out. And then what are we going to do with the money afterwards? That's a big concern as well. Um, I've just learned that it's going to be moved to the watershed project, which could be great and beneficial for this area if it's managed appropriately um, and if there's projects laid out in place. And again, transparency. Where are my tax dollars going and are they going back to help the residents? And uh, an audit would, would provide some more information mm-hmm. on that. Uh, Ms. Graham, thank you for joining us. Thank and you for having me. We appreciate you uh, having, I guess you can say, the courage and the gumption to come on the show. Try to get in front of the voters, uh, as many people as possible. Tell us about what you're thinking. Well, it's always a pleasure to visit with you, McHugh. Oh, well, thank you. I, I, I don't know if everyone would agree with you, <laughs> but I appreciate you saying that. Uh, one more time, Miss Ivy Graham. She is running for state representative, District 71, which encompasses uh, quite a bit of Livingston Parish. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate you joining us this thank morning. My name is McHugh David, publisher and editor of the news. We want to remind people, uh, please early vote. It it started Saturday. Uh, almost 1,700 people took the time to go vote. 
Uh, right now, we're looking at uh, roughly 30% already have voted at when compared to the 2015 early voting totals. 16, 6%, not 16, 6% of the total voting population from 2015. There are roughly 80,000 registered voters in Livingston Parish. Uh, early voting will run through Saturday, October 5th. You can go to the Dem Springs Walker Branch Library or the Registrar of Voters. It will be open from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. A reminder for the library that they, they don't open till 9 and they close at 5. So if you go at 8.30, between 8.30 and 9, or if you go after 5 o'clock, you can only get in through the back entrance that is off Eden Church Road. Thank you for that reminder. Uh, please remember the early voting period is being pushed because on Saturday, October 12th, which is Election Day, LSU plays Florida on CBS at 2.30. As we've been told, that is uh, kind of a death for elections. People liking to go out to LSU roughly yep. 9 or 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. You end up staying out there till 7. Traffic. Polls close at 8, folks. So uh, uh, Southeastern also has their homecoming. It is the second or third week of hunting season. We really haven't established which, but it, we're, <laughs> we're well into hunting season at that point. It is also the Saturday of the fair. So instead mm -hmm. of worrying about voting that day, all you got to do is worry about the results if you vote early. So, again, yes. that runs through Friday, uh, Saturday, October 5th. 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m., Dem Springs Walker Branch Library or the Registrar of Voters. My name is McHugh David, publisher and editor of news. Appreciate you joining us for another edition of Livingston Parish News Podcast. We will be back at you Thursday with Mr. Jeff Ard, and we wish you all the luck on your Thank the rest you. of your campaign I and on Election it. Day. Appreciate it.